let's talk a little bit about Project Patent. And the question I ask, you know, has it made us safer? Or is this a bit of PR? I mean, there's no question. Police did put in the hours, the manpower. I mean, they spent the last nine months doing this. But it's just the latest pre-dawn raid, you know, coming after a spate of gun violence. And so you have to ask, are we now safe? Yes, they took 78 guns off the street. That's significant. And they alleged that the guns were smuggled in from Florida and that, according to police, 13 of those arrested are high-up recruits of a gang called the Five Star Generals, an alleged gang that has been uh, caught up in other big uh, police sweeps, in particular one called Project Corral back in 2010. So why are they back out? And will they be the same people? They stroll in, they stroll out, they stroll... And how many of the people arrested, of the 70 people arrested, how many are just the collateral damage, the people that were either in the area, maybe a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend just hanging out? How many of these people are being thrown into the system when they should not have been thrown in? Here are the officers uh, involved in today's announcement. We are confident that with the assistance of our partner agencies, Project Patton has significantly disrupted the criminal operations and the hierarchy of the Five Point Generals. That is Deputy Chief Jim Rammer talking about how they believe they've put a dent in it, in the uh, crime. Maybe tonight. I'm not sure it's done anything long term. Let's bring in Selwyn Peters, also known as Mr. Toronto Lawyer. He's a criminal lawyer, also covered many of these projects more than likely any criminal lawyer. He joins me now. Thanks for coming on with me. Good evening. Um, I covered a couple of your cases, including Project Pathfinder, and I kind of feel like I'm watching the same movie over and over again when I see these pre-dawn raids. The chief himself said we needed to do things, and that's a fairly loaded statement. So did they need this nine-month investigation to be called in yesterday on Thursday, you know, to snuff out some of the bad headlines? Um, Nope. Um, certainly, I think, you know, the police have to be strategic in terms of how they operate in terms of these raids. And um, they, um, we understand that two weeks ago or close to a month ago, they arrested one person with 60 firearms. Mm-hmm. So that was the bulk of the firearms. They claim that they have seized 78 firearms. Um, so if they if they see six firearms from one person, um, then they've got seventeen around seventeen firearms for the over seventy-seven other persons that they arrested. And so I suspect that um, all the noise about about this project is a lot of people collaterally caught up in this in this raid um, with no. Um, with no um, justifiable results coming out in the final analysis when the um, court decides to adjudicate this. Right. And so when, what happens with these, uh, just so our listeners understand, when these big pre-raid, you know, pre-dawn raids happen, you know, you get this bulk of people into the courts and the, pa- the courts are packed. You've got a bunch of lawyers coming in. They get their clients. They help the families. Some of these people will get bail. A lot of these uh, Selwyn will get bail. What happens to those who are, quote unquote, the collateral damage? Will most of them have their charges dropped or do they become and, and, and make deals to become witnesses? Uh, sometimes some of them get the charges dropped. Uh, sometimes the police offer some of them peace bonds 
Another police but the crown attorney offers some of them peace bonds because they may have been found in a house where drugs were found mm -hmm. or they may have been found in a house where guns were found but uh, the police know exactly who the target was because they had received intelligence that this person possessed an illegal firearm. So the, the family members are used as collateral damages with significant consequences um, that occur to those people in terms of their lives, in terms of their employment, in terms of their prospect. It's no different from when they read those marijuana, um, those uh, marijuana, uh, what you call it, marijuana dispensaries, and they arrest every single person instead of simply arresting the owner. Yeah. They arrest the security guards, they arrest all the counter people, they arrest the people that are found in, and then it takes a lot of time and effort on the court's part and everybody's part to sort out who is who, and and some people get uh, their charges withdrawn, some get peace bonded, depending on what uh, whether they had other charges before and conditions, and so on. So it, it's in most cases it's a w a lot of waste of um, the court's time and the court resources. And I suspect that this project pattern with all the noise is going to be just like Project Corral, where the judge called it Project Threadbare, mm -hmm. because most of the people were not involved in any criminal organizations. Uh, some of them were petty drug dealers, and I suspect in this case it's the same thing. Some of them would be petty drug dealers, and um, you know the court will deal with, with those cases as it, it proceeds, but it's, it's going to be another colossal waste of taxpayers' money. But I guess it, put money, it puts money in lawyers' pockets, it puts money in the police pockets, it puts money in, um, it brings more money into the system, but it clogs up the system uh, with cases that um, have merit and deserve to be dealt with the gang members. People who are gang members and gun runners and so on deserve to be removed from mm -hmm. the streets, right? Yeah, and, and they did say today that they've got, of, the, of those arrested, 13 are the high-up recruits. And they were very vague on details. They would, they would only say that those that have been arrested have been involved in alleged murders, attempt murders, things like rapes, uh, gun smuggling. They were not specific. But I expect that there are people that they are zeroing in. It's the same kind of thing with the five-star generals back in 2010. So they've seemed to have got this alleged gang uh, in two uh, of these big sweeps. And so there will be those that are, are off the streets. But what does it do as far as stopping the crime? Because I don't think we're going to see an end in shootings. Do you? Well, I don't think it's going to end um, shootings per se. I mean, to end shootings, they need to plug that pipeline. I mean, taking the six of guns off the street from that one person was significant. But all three levels of government needs to come together and to have a plan of action to plug the pipeline with the United States yeah. where those firearms are coming from. You're talking I about mean, that Cornwall border area that no one seems to want to even look at or touch. That's right. And, and the thing about it is the person that was arrested, the person that was arrested with those six of firearms is not a five-point general uh, or, or a 5PG affiliate. It's somebody who is simply a profiteer trying to make money um, of the misery of those people that live in those neighborhoods where um, uh, they're caught in a rut and have no hope. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, I'm sure that most of those young people who um, get affiliated with guns and drugs and violence in those neighborhoods, um, their parents had high expectations of them just like any other parent. Uh, and the social conditions in which they, 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 they thrive in mm -hmm. um, led them to that because, I mean, 
I mean, in some of these neighborhoods, um, these kids are not only afraid of the gangsters, but they're afraid of the police. The yep. police isn't fostering any sort of confidence in these kids. I mean, the, the police are in the school harassing them. The Safe Schools Act is kicking them out. And so what they do is they kick them out into the hands of the gang members and the gun runners and the drug dealers. I mean, it's a sad situation, especially when we had Project Corral in 2010 that you just referred to, and now we've got Project Patton. Yeah, and so going back to your point about the young young boys, because of those that are in the age of 10 to 13 who I've talked to on the streets, they will tell you, I have two choices. I either get out of this neighborhood uh, or I join a gang because they hang around and they recruit us. And if I don't get out of here, I have little choice but to join if I want to survive. Is is that still very much the state uh, of, of what's happening in, in these gang areas? Well, well, it certainly is. I mean, I mean... I mean, they're now trying to clean up Toronto by sort of tearing down some of these um, low-income um, communities and, and building nice condos like Regent Park. Mm-hmm. They've done that so that they could gentrify the place and have mixed housing. So you have uh, middle-class and upper-class people living among people who are on subsidized income so that uh, the kids can be interacting with all sort of people so that they could give them hope and so on and so forth. But I mean, taking them, taking them out of the area doesn't solve the problem if, you know, they can't get uh, proper jobs that could help them to get a condo or an apartment and pay the rent plus pay their expenses and so on. There's a lot of logistics involved in removing people from their, their neighborhoods. I mean, people are, people are tied to certain neighborhoods and even if you remove them, Um, Sometimes they come back. That's what you have in Regent Park. I mean, Regent Park is quite a gentrified neighborhood. Now, I live there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've had a spate of shootings in Regent Park recently, shootings and stabbings. So what's the answer then? If you were, because you've dealt with these projects, you've dealt with every one of these projects in the courts as they've been done. Before I let you go, what would you be advising the mayor and the chief that they've got to start doing? Uh, Well, one, they have to... They have to uh, plug that pipeline with yeah. the United States. Secondly, they have to um, engage with the, with, with the communities in meaningful ways. I mean, the police are the public and the public are the police. That's what uh, Robert Peel said. And if the police properly engage with the community, the community can provide them a lot of information and assistance. But when they go into these communities, the police, the police uh, despite all the posturing and the public relations aspect on television, they have no respect for people in public um, public housing and people who they they uh, perceive as um, not um, middle class or upper class. I mean, I as a black man who is a lawyer with dreadlocks see that because mm-hmm. I live in Regent Park and yeah. I have that experience when I'm dressed down in the neighborhood as a black man among black youths. I see how the police interact and when the other day they were harassing a bunch of youths, giving them tickets for crossing on the red light. And what does the police tell me? Even though the public, two Somali women identify me as a lawyer, I said, well, I will take this case and I will see you in court. The police said to me, well, um, I don't think so. You didn't get a ticket. (laughs) Which means that the police could not envision that the person who was standing in front of them was a lawyer, even though that person identified himself as a lawyer. And people around him identify that person as a lawyer. So the police come in there and they have a posture 
that is completely unhelpful. And I can tell you that in this project pattern, which I'm going to get involved in because somebody is going to hire me, somebody or the other, mm -hmm. um, those cases, any smart lawyer demolishes those cases. We did that in Project Corral and most of the other cases. And that's unfortunate Yeah. because um, you ask, well, what can the police do? The police are not doing very much to build bridges, particularly with the black and urban communities. They're not, they're not doing it in Toronto, and it's sad. It's sad commentary. Well, it is, and uh, I wish I had more time to talk, but I'll have you on again, Selwyn, but uh, you've raised some really interesting points, especially with uh, closing off that um, artery between uh, the U.S. and Canada. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate you having me on, Ms. Pearson, and you have a great show. You too, and I'll have you on again. Selwyn Peters, who's uh, one of the lawyers that has been involved in this particular type of criminal uh, litigation. He also does civil litigation. But we're going to talk later in the show about what he brought up. It's really important about closing off this pathway of gun smuggling because no one will touch it. It's politically too hot to touch, and that's why it's not getting solved.